I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From Classical WETA in Washington, we take you behind the music as we get into it all with conversations with local and touring musicians, go on deep dives to figure out things like what exactly is a symphony, and in this episode, I'm joined by Classical WETA host James Jacobs as we explore Antonio Vivaldi's The Four Seasons. There is so much to get into with this piece, like depicting in music, dogs and insects, torrential storms, lightning and falling on the ice, even things written on the music you didn't know before. James, Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons, it has to be one of the most recorded and remixed pieces of all time, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no... I mean, there's, I think, literally hundreds. Hundreds. And you've got this kind of stuff. You've got... Oh, yeah. More rock and roll. And you know what? There's even recordings with violins. Yeah. And not guitars. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's a huge also thing for, you know, metalheads oh, and yeah. everything. Absolutely. But um, Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons, we're going to get into it in this episode because there's just so much detail, so many exciting things that... Over time, it's easy to overlook and not realize just how much um, is in there. But this whole phenomenon of recording all of these, um, recording the Four Seasons hundreds of times, that's kind of an American invention, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, in 1947 that a violinist named Louis uh, Kaufman, who's actually, many of you have probably heard him without knowing it because he's on the soundtrack of all the classic Hollywood MGM films from the 30s and 40s, Weathering Heights, Gone with the Wind. He was a concertmaster of the MGM orchestra. So if you hear a violin solo on, I think, uh, uh, Citizen Kane even, and uh, you hear him. And he, someone approached him saying, well, there's these concertos by Vivaldi that have never been recorded. And, uh, and he recorded them in one week, in the last week of, of December 1947, after midnight in Carnegie Hall with a pickup orchestra. And he had to do it really quickly because there was going to be a strike looming. And, uh, and he finally got it all together and recorded uh, the Four Seasons. And it became this global phenomenon uh, with these American Hollywood pickup musicians. Amazing. Such a simple, you know, after midnight in Carnegie Hall yeah, kind exactly. of thing. So Vivaldi published this uh, in 1725, and it was actually a set, a whole part of a set of 12 concertos, Il Cimento dell'Armonia e dell'Invenzione, the Contest of Harmony and Invention, and I do not speak Italian, of course. Right. But uh, the first four concertos of this 12 set are known. They're called Le Quattro Stagione. The Four Seasons. The Four Seasons, yes. And it's this uh, – and it, I think part of the reason they've become so popular is just because it's a global – I mean everybody knows what the Four Seasons are. And it's it's something – it's a universal concept. And uh, Vivaldi not only wrote this music but he also wrote poetry to go with it so that we all understand how he translated these uh, poetic concepts in and, and meteorology you know, into music. Yeah, it's something we all experience these seasons, and the sonnets that he wrote pair perfectly, and we're going to get into that. And we're going to get into it with a recording. And with these recordings and performances, you can kind of lump them kind of generally into two categories. You've got musicians who are playing from the published version that was available to the public, and then those that are playing from the original manuscripts from Vivaldi, because there's a little bit of a difference between these. Yes, I think... 
And it's really hard to tell whether it was Vivaldi himself who did the alterations for the publisher because uh, Vivaldi, of course, was a virtuoso. And when you published music, you know, this was before recordings. It was a way of not only uh, putting out music that you wanted everybody to play, but also it was a way of showing everybody what a great violinist you are by showing, well, I can play this. <laughs> and, um, and of course, not everybody could. And so what you see in the difference between uh, the manuscript and the published version is the difference between what Vivaldi could really be capable of doing and what the publisher and perhaps Vivaldi himself thought the everybody could be a, capable of doing. And we're going to explore this piece with one recording in particular, and that's with violinist Fabio Biondi and Europa Galante. And they are playing from these original manuscripts or copies of them. And in a couple of cases, we'll listen to the other version too because it's quite striking. But the way Biondi plays this, it's, it's just almost explosive. So let's jump into this. Four concertos, four seasons, each one for the violin, and each one has three movements, a fast movement, a slow movement, and a fast movement. A sonnet accompanies each one, and it's just brilliant what Vivaldi does with bringing that to life in the music. So I'm going to read the the part of the sonnet that is for all of the first movement, and then we're going to go back in into all these little details. So it reads this. Springtime is upon us. The birds celebrate her return with festive song, and murmuring streams are softly caressed by the breezes. Thunderstorms, those heralds of spring, roar, casting their dark mantle over heaven. Then they die away to silence, and the birds take up their charming songs once more. So right from the beginning, springtime is upon us. And that's a simple opening. It does kind of show you, it's like an arrival, a kind of a march going forward into spring. Yes, and it does feel that, you know, oh, the sun's finally out, you know, when you're finally yeah. waking up and it's, a, and it's a beautiful day. And it has that, it really captures that emotion perfectly. And it only gets into more detail from here. And what's actually fascinating is in the score, in the music, Vivaldi actually writes over notes like, this is what's happening here in the in the in the sonnet. And sometimes he's writing things that aren't even in the sonnet them sonnets themselves. So right after the introduction, we get to this line, the birds celebrate her return with festive song, and it says the song of birds right when the violin soloist comes in. Sounds like two little birds having a conversation. Yes. And it's there's there's a little bit of history about this that I think you would find fascinating. Um, the whole idea of ornamentation, those little uh, those little uh, little trills, those little turns, uh, they do come directly from birdsong. And a lot of violinists were originally recorder players. Now, the reason why recorder has a name recorder is because it's from the Latin for recordare, to remember. And it's specifically to remember bird songs. It was invented oh. by monks. And uh, because monks wanted to, uh, you know, they had nothing else to do. So they played their recorders as a way of a sort of bird call. And then that was adopted into the violin. And so what you're hearing is really the the, the violinist, you know, uh, into this legacy and uh, of uh, the continuum of of 
instruments communicating and humans communicating with birds. And the trill, the trill is when you've got a note and it's going back and forth very fast um, to another note. You usually have a note a half step or a whole step away. And in the music, it just says TR and then a squiggly line for as long as that's supposed to go on for. But that really is, you know, those are birds coming to life right away with the um, introduction. And not long after that, we get to the next line and murmuring streams are softly caressed by the breezes. What comes to mind the more that I listen to this is that it sounds like a murmuring stream, like I'm the leaf going down these twists and turns of, a, of like a stream. Yes, I think you're right. Because it's. A, I was just thinking, that's a very fast moving stream. But if you're a leaf being buffeted around by the water, then that's probably what it feels like. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, you're right. And then next we get to, what do we get to next? These thunderstorms, right? Heralds of spring roar, casting their dark mantle over heaven. And these are storms. Right. And what you're hearing here is really Vivaldi. I mean, the the whole concept of, well, string instruments with bows, I mean, that, they were still fairly new instruments in terms of being able to do this sort of thing. And up to then, they were basically used to play pretty tunes. But it was Vivaldi who really developed the idea that, oh, you couldn't just play tunes because the idea of the bow on the string, these horse hairs rubbing up against these these wire strings, uh, can, you can do really cool stuff and make really cool sounds. And of course, you know, and if you're a string player, that's what you do most of the time when you're fooling around is trying to figure out what cool sounds you can make. And, and it's amazing that Vivaldi translates that into sort of like, it's not just fooling around, it's it's tone painting. And so he uh, he says like, you know, it's, String instruments cannot just sing melodies, but they can also make noises that can be used for expressive purposes. And in another concerto, in another season, there's storms, and they sound horrifying. They're terrifying. But in this one, it's it's a sense of just a, a spring storm that brings those May flowers. Yes. And right after that, the birds um, return literally with the song of birds written in the score. And what I love about that passage is that you really, you, you feel the concern, you feel the worry, sort of like, oh, is it, it just in that turn to the minor key, you sort of feel like, oh, what's going to happen? I, I, you can see the clouds coming up, you know, just in the music. It's brilliant what Vivaldi does. And so with this first movement, he's brought us kind of a natural progression of a story almost, springtime, the birds, then there's the rain, and then it clears and the birds are singing again. Now... Let's get into the second movement here. Let's, let's hear what this, um, this part of the sonnet says. On the flower-strewn meadow, with leafy branches rustling overhead, the goat herd sleeps, his faithful dog beside him. Mm-hmm. 
Now, so far, like in the first movement, we've got the birds, then the storm, and then the birds again. It's all kind of one at a time, but something is different about this movement. You hear all three of those scenes, the the leafy branches rustling, the, the sleeping gold herd, and the faithful dog all at the same time. And you hear the violas, which are the big violins playing, doing the dog, right? The, the bark, bum, bum. And... And you hear the rustling, dee, 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 dee. And then that's the solo violin, which is the sort of dreaminess, right, of the, of, of the goat herd. And uh, it's, it's brilliant how he paints this scene. It's, it's cinematic, really. It, it's like theater, almost. And what's, what I love is that you've got the dog, the faithful dog beside him. But in the score, it says over the viola part, um, the barking dog. So it's that dog barking. So yep. let's listen again to that. And you can hear... The barking dog and the viola, then in the middle, the da di da, the violins, and then the, the, the goat herd sleeping over top. A lot of recordings and a lot of performances don't have the viola really barking like a dog. It's kind of more symbolic. Here is here is a different kind of kind of the other side of recording that we talked about with the two groups. This is uh, Michelle Schwalbe with Berlin Phil and Herbert von Karajan conducting this same exact thing. That's a very lazy bark, right? Is that even a bark? I don't. It's a no. But I think this is an important point because you can hear this different people doing the same exact. Uh, it's well, it's probably like you know different pop singers doing cover tunes. You can make it really into a, a completely different experience, and this is and this is the same thing. And what's interesting is that both groups are playing the exact same notes. They've got their, they had, they didn't change the score at all. Right. You know they just they just took different interpretive liberties uh, from it. It's got the same. Tempo marking the same notes, and uh, it just shows you just what what a performer does, really. Exactly. So that's basically the whole second movement. It's all happening at the same time, and it brings us to the third movement of the spring La Primavera concerto, and the text says this in the sonnet. Led by the festive sound of rustic bagpipes, nymphs and shepherds lightly dance beneath the brilliant canopy of spring. And you get, like in the first movement, right from the beginning, this sound, this festive sound in these, in these bagpipes. There's so many instances in music since then that has that bagpipe sound to it but I'm having this is the earliest known kind of example where I see it really kind of written in the music the bagpipe sound the oh drone. yes and what's interesting is that uh, in the 17th century there was actually an instrument called the musette which was a small bagpipe that they actually used in the orchestra but Vivaldi, it's almost like he could tell that, okay, that's not going to last. So you have to um, you know, imitate the sound of the bagpipes, and it's actually more effective to do that. So you hear that drone going on in the lower strings, and, uh, and the way – and he uses the resonance of the instrument so that it really does sound like the drone of a bagpipe, really even more than an actual bagpipe would if you used it in this context. Right. <laughs> 
And of course, these are violin concertos, so there's some beautiful violin moments within. And what I love about Fabio Biondi is he slides between these notes that add just a whole new kind of oh, absolutely. texture to it. And you can really hear those words, shepherds lightly dance, brilliant canopy of spring. It's really that the way he plays it, it's really like those, those words, those images come to life. And that brings us to the next season, L'estate, or summer. Now, this might be one of my favorites of this whole thing. Let's hear. Can you read us a bit of the opening movement sonnet? Under a hard season, fired up by the sun, languishes man, languishes the flock and burns the pine. We hear the cuckoo's voice. Then sweet songs of the turtle dove and finch are heard. Soft breezes stir the air, but threatening, the north wind sweeps them suddenly aside. The shepherd trembles, fearing violent storms and his fate. And just think about that first line as we listen to this. Under a hard season, fired up by the sun, languishing man, uh, the flock, and burning of the pine. like I'm in the desert or something where you hear that wah, wah, wah. It's just like that, you know, the waviness when you're looking at the horizon. Absolutely. And I want us all to appreciate for a moment just how revolutionary this passage is because again, you know, music is generally, we think, oh, it's you, you, you play a melody, but here he's not playing in melodies. He's playing in gestures. He's playing in these little moments that feel so dramatic and so human that that really mirror the the rhythms of real life and not as the conventions of music up to that time and that's one of the reasons why this piece is is, is so popular i think is because it 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 communicates so directly languishing in the sun it's so hot and then in the next little bit here everything changes we hear the cuckoo's voice when you think, oh, the cuckoo's voice, you think something, oh, here's a nice little cuckoo singing. But this is kind of aggressive. It's startling. It's cuckoo. It's like kind of the time telling passing of time, but it's aggressive. Like you're running out of time. Ba-bum, ba-bum kind of yeah, thing. absolutely. And uh, it sort of reminds us that when we listen to actual birds in the wilderness, it's actually something, it actually can be frightening. It actually can be a little bit menacing. It's, there's, it's not cute at all. And compared with that, there's these sweet songs of turtle dove and finch. I'm having a little trouble with this, with this turtle dove song. Thank you. 
these sweet songs, but it's this turtle dove that it sounds like it's like it's languishing too. Well, yes. Well, in the in the Baroque era, um, and you actually get this even in Shakespeare, the turtle dove is as much a symbol as it is an actual mm. idea of a bird. And um, and I think what Vivaldi is playing on here is um, is how the turtle dove represents in literary terms a kind of idea of longing, of, of longing in love and an idea of, of faithfulness as well and, and the fickleness of that. And I think he's playing on what would have been the accepted um, ideas of the turtle dove as much as he is playing on the actual sound of the actual bird. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then it goes on with the soft breezes stir the air, but threatening the north wind sweeps them suddenly aside. It's like, you know, in summer, you've got this huge storm coming, but what comes right before it is this kind of this really soft, cool wind. Really, really portraying the uh, the just the unpredictability of nature, there, yeah. the wildness in in, in all of, all of its its power in in that passage. And it already sounds. This is our second storm. We already had a storm in spring. This one sounds different. Yeah, this and one, there is and there is more storms to come. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, because after this, the 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 shepherd is scared. He's trembling. It sounds like he's pleading. Well, yeah, he might lose his sheep, and he yeah. might lose his living. This is there's nothing, you know. This and is himself. Serious, serious business, you know. It's like, like he's trying to. He's looking for shelter, looking for somewhere to take them. Yeah. And from there, we get into the next movement, the slow movement for summer. The fear of lightning and fierce thunder robs his tired limbs of rest as gnats and flies buzz furiously around. And this is similar to the movement, the slow movement in spring, in that listen for all of these things happening at the same time. That kind of startled me. Yeah, absolutely. And just listen to the, I mean, they're all playing violins, violas, and cellos. And we have this idea about what they hear, about what they sound like, right? But in there, you feel like you're listening to completely different instruments playing each part, you know, and, and what Vivaldi is doing there. And also the musicians playing this particular recording are exploring the, all the different colors that string instruments can, can make uh, that can create this, this uh, picture of lightning and thunder and weariness and insects. So the insects are the the violins, or they're playing pretty low on the instrument, and it sounds like they're playing close to the bridge, right, to get that yes. kind of metallic-y sound. Right, and it's uh, what they call uh, coleno, or on the wood. They might actually be playing on the wood part of the bow uh, mm-hmm. instead of, of the hair, and they're playing very close to the uh, 
bridge. Uh, it's called Sul Ponticello, meaning yeah. the bridge, and uh, and it's uh, an effect that we usually if, associate with the 20th century. But here's Vivaldi doing it in the early 18th century. Yeah, and the bridge, of course, that it's that part that holds the strings up off of the violin or the cello. And that is the the second movement, kind of like the um, the other concerto, where it's all these things happening at the same time, and that lightning, that thunders, just it gets you, off, it catches you off guard. Well, it's interesting. Notice already the difference between how he uses slow movements and how he uses fast movements. And so, in the slow movements, since he can't go as fast, what he does is he compresses it so that it's almost a sort of almost a vertical uh, experience instead of a horizontal one. And so that way he gets in that much more imagery in, you know, compressed amount of time. It's really brilliant. And that brings us to the third movement. And you would think, okay, you've got this, um, it's the summer and it's hot and then there's a storm. You'd expect a lot of times, well, this is going to be the storm clearing and the the heavens opening up and all is okay. But it's not quite like that, is it? Vivaldi's summer is not very much fun. No. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, we think of summer as being a fun fun season, but uh, not according to Vivaldi. He's, no. uh, this is serious business. It's, um, in a way, it's, it's, it sounds less fun than winter does. Let's hear what Vivaldi the poet has to say. Alas, his fears were justified. The heavens thunder and roar and with hail cut the head off the wheat and damages the grain. And knowing the sonnets more, it makes me really listen to this and appreciate it in a whole new way. Yes, and it's interesting because I, I just really thought about this because it says, cut the head off the wheat. And the way Vivaldi uh, makes that picture of that with these really violent, it's, um, and these choppy notes, it's actually very similar to how he did his setting of a psalm called Dixit Dominus, in which there's this word conquasabit, about the cutting off of heads. And he uses almost exactly the same musical imagery. And it's it's very violent. And you yeah. know, and what he's uh, really illustrating here is, yeah, again, this is serious business. You lose your crops. That's, uh, yeah. that's no, no fooling around there. Yeah, it's not a happy ending for um, the summer. Actually, I want to play the ending because this sounds oh, yes. equally, it sounds creepy. way they play that last note to wow. me it's like in a movie or something almost like aladdin you know where the you swallowed up by the sand and there's no evidence left of you it's just kind of creepy i think it's no accident that that particular movement is very uh popular with heavy metal guitarists because yeah. it has that sense of apocalypse that sense of just of shredding oh yeah <laughs> definitely and we will get into the next season let's take a break 
Classical Breakdown is made possible by Classical WETA. Join us for the music anytime, day or night. To listen live, just go to our website, classicalweta.org, or download our app. It's free in the App Store. Now we get into the third season, Lautuno, or Autumn, and it starts with this sonnet. Celebrates the peasant with songs and dances, the pleasure of a bountiful harvest, and fired up by Bacchus's liquor. Many end their revelry in sleep. And again, a lot of these start with a kind of a little celebration, and this one definitely has that. Sounds like a party. Absolutely. And, uh, but it's interesting, listening to this after listening to Spring, how Vivaldi manages to make this sound like fall instead of spring. And he does this in a very clever way because in spring, he uses a key that uses lots of open strings on the on the string instruments. Okay. And so you hear lots of very open resonances. But here in the key, in this key of F, it's all, it's all, it's a little bit more muted. So you can, so you hear very subtly. It's, it's brilliant the way that Vivaldi does that. But of course, it's still lots of fun. Now, you talk about Bacchus's liquor. Tell us who Bacchus was. Bacchus is the god of the grape harvest and of winemaking. And you can definitely hear some wine influence in this example. What's interesting is, well, that sounds like Bacchus can, you know, he can he can hold his wine. He's with it in that example. But at the end, in the music, it's kind of hard to almost hear it the first time. But at the end, it went, when it goes coming up and down in the music, it says drunk. <laughs> and those in the other parts, not Bacchus's part. But then it ends everyone falling asleep. It sounds like when I'm listening, like I've gone back into the pub three hours later and everyone's there, but everyone's kind of like passed out and fallen asleep on the table. And Yeah, and you bring up a really good point because what was just occurred to me is just how primal and how universal this is because he talks about um, – Everything he talks about can talk uh, could talk about the entire history of agricultural society back for millennia, but he could also be talking about how our attitudes or reactions to um, the weather in modern times. You know, whether you know it's sort of like, oh, well, it's the weather starting to turn. Time to get a drink in a bar. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's, it's and we feel the way we feel those uh, those the same rhythms uh, even in our urban life and uh, and that was as true as in Vivaldi's time as it is now and uh, and it's and that's again one of the amazing examples of universality in this music everyone experiences seasons everyone maybe at some point experiences wine exactly so getting into the into the second movement it says this with a sonnet 
Everyone is made to forget their cares and to sing and dance by the air which is tempered with pleasure and by the season that invites so many, many out of their sweetest slumber to fine enjoyment. And with the music, it's a little interesting because it says over top of it, drunken sleepers at the start of this. So they're having some very interesting dreams. But what's interesting is if you think about what the harpsichord is playing, it's not really written in the music. No. And what's, again, one of the things that's so revolutionary about this particular movement is that Vivaldi completely forgets that it's a concerto. It's a, it has no, nothing to do with the violin. No. It's, not, it's no showing off at all. He's just uh, interested in creating this image of a lot of people sleeping, of sort of mass slumber and dream uh, and dream state. And so it's really in the service of the music, this completely static, the way the strings barely move. Yeah. And, and the harpsichord, and he all, he's, what, what are the exact things that he said the harpsichord to do? Something is just um, arpeggio. arpeggio. playing right. notes that are kind of outlining a chord. Right. Which uh, could be like the flickering of our, Eyes during an REM cycle, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and you and you hear that it's um, and it's just especially the particular kind of sleep that happens after if you're sleeping off um, <laughs> a couple lot of glasses of, of wine, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's um, and it's just it's 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 biological and it's exact, you know, uh, per- portrait of how this could happen. It's amazing music. And like the other concertos, this is all just one scene painted at the same time. So it is just like you said, it's just kind of floating in there through the through the movement. And then it brings us to the last movement of the Autumn Concerto. And what does it say here for the sonnet? The hunters emerge at the new dawn and with horns and dogs and guns depart upon their hunting. The beast flees and they follow its trail. Terrified and tired of the great noise of guns and dogs, the beast, wounded, threatens languidly to flee, but harried, dies. You can totally hear that opening line, hunters emerge at the new dawn with horns and dogs right at the opening of this. I can really hear what Vivaldi is depicting in this example. My wife and I have a couple of thoroughbreds, so we're in the horse scene a little bit. And at an event, there was a kind of fox hunt demonstration. So from the distance over a hill, you heard all of these hounds and riders with their red coats coming over a hill from a distance, getting closer and closer and louder and louder, just like in that, um, in that example. But they get hold of a beast, and the beast flees.
And notice how much the violin throughout all these concertos has to com constantly change characters. You know, one moment he might be a, a sleeping shepherd and the mo next moment he's this beast uh, flying away. And uh, it's, it's, and it's, um, well, it's really, it's showing off the, the violin skill and it's also showing off the basically, I think Vivaldi is trying to show off what the violin can do and all the different aspects that a violin can, can play, really roles that a violin can play like an actor. Yeah, I've heard you say that before, and especially with this piece, you have to be an actor. You're really setting scenes. I mean, everyone has to be at some point when they're playing this. And the beast flees, but the beast is wounded, right? And the beast dies. But it's okay for the hunters, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's a it's it's a sad ending for the beast, but it's a, a sort of just part of the cycle of life and, and nature for everyone else. And so, what's amazing about that is that you actually do hear the dying of the beast, but it's not a tragedy, right? It moves on. Um, I think autumn has actually kind of become my favorite real life season since moving and living in Washington for a couple of years, you know, getting, I've lived in places where you don't get all the seasons. Either it's always hot or it's kind of always cold, but something crisp that you can even hear in the air of this concerto. Oh, absolutely. Actually, autumn has always been my favorite season. And, uh, and, and, and perhaps part of that is because it's um, one of the few seasons that you can actually experience all over the country. And I've lived all over the country yeah. as opposed to some other seasons that can be unpleasant or, you know, anyways, the point being is that, yeah, and you really do hear that, 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 that quality of air in, in that, in that concerto. And I do think it has to do with the way, as I was saying before, the way he uses the string instruments uh, in this particular tonality uh, that create this really uh, sort of unique sound world. So Lean Verno, Winter. This sounds ice, ice cold. And it starts off very, very cold. In the sonnet, it says, To tremble from cold in the icy snow, in the harsh breath of a horrid wind, to run, stamping one's feet every moment, our teeth chattering in the extreme cold. The opening of this is very, very interesting in this recording. The harpsichord is painting the whole scene here. Yeah. And in the music, they don't have that. It's just kind of a guide of chords of what you right. should play. All I can think is that every film composer has ripped this off oh, to, yeah. to portray suspense mm -hmm. and to portray the cold and to portray, you know, it all started here. This is this is what invented that musical trope was this was this moment in this music uh, of, of how you can create that emotion uh, of suspense and terror in music. And all of these different recordings have their own merits, of course. But you can hear a more typical way that this part is played in that other recording we've been sampling with Michel Schwalbe.
with the harpsichord just playing the rhythm and, and the chord, not painting right. the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And that's, again, another tribute to uh, Vivaldi's um, uh, artistry is because he wrote music that he knew full well everybody was going to bring their own interpretation into. Um, and he lived in an age when musicians' attitude towards a score was more like like a jazz musician's attitude towards a chart and yeah. they, you know, they, you, you never played, you put your own stamp on it. You never just played the notes on the page and Vivaldi knew this. And yet, and he, he wrote music that would work no matter really how you did it. And it gets from to tremble from the cold and the icy snow to where the violin soloist comes in the harsh breath of a horrid wind. But I wonder what that was like for the first violinist to get the music and then to see where they come in for the big solo, A Horrid Wind. But again, I want to talk a little bit about how how Vivaldi was showcasing the violin as an instrument. Because, sure, an oboe could do certain kinds of things. And uh, the new fangled clarinet that Vivaldi was one of the first people to write for could do certain things. The trumpet could do certain things. But only one instrument could do all of those things. Yeah. And that's the violin. And that's what Vivaldi was trying to showcase in this piece. As much as his own composition his own compositional skill was really, this is all, these are all the things the violin can do. And there's a famous, in the next section, where it says in, in the music, literally with the sonnet written in, to run stamping one's feet. This is also, I think, a one that maybe you can agree with is used a lot within uh, movies and sound scores. You could see two people looking back and forth at each other, maybe on a bridge, and it's Absolutely, moving fast. Yes. And... But it does sound cold. It sounds, and it sounds, you know, teeth chattering, stamping one's feet. It, it, but, it, but definitely, yeah, that that the idea of drama, just drama unfolding in real time. You you get this idea of real time that you know usually. And I think that's another thing that uh, that's very unique about this music is you know it's. Up to this, you know, so much of music was, you know, you sort of waited your turn. You had your, you had your tune, and then you had this other tune, and it was all it was like a dance, right? It all unfolded in neat phrases of equal length. And this was like we have no time for that. We we're we're not trying to, you know, just do this dance. We're trying to portray what life is really like. And I think that's the the way he captures that is is incredible. And it sounds cold, not just because, I guess, because it's really high on the violin, but if Biondi is getting, it sounds like he's getting a smaller sound or he's getting it, he's putting more sound into a smaller space. Yeah. And I think that's another difference between Baroque playing and the playing that we, that became standardized in the 19th century, that uh, where everything became about projecting like an opera singer projects and you got one tone and it's a beautiful tone and it projects, it can project to the last row of a 3000 seat opera house. And, and with, uh, in Vivaldi's time, you could dare to be intimate. So you were only playing soft enough that only the person in front of you could hear it. And yet, you know, in, in, 
and yet you could do that in, in Vivaldi's time because, you know, there was a lot less ambient noise and you were playing much smaller halls. And, uh, and, and so you can capture that almost frightening sense of intimacy in the playing. Yeah. Well, you, you can, it sounds exactly right what you're saying, how it, how it sounds and everything. And in the next um, example, I love what Biondi does here. And I can't find anywhere in the music of what he could possibly be playing. This is the teeth chattering in the cold. Yeah. He's actually just throwing his bow onto the strings instead of, you know, it's is basically using the violin as a percussion instrument. And you don't hear it played a lot this way. Often you hear it kind of played this way. This is uh, Michel Schwaber. And maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I was at the dentist yesterday. But <laughs> this chattering teeth, I hear it almost in a painful way with Biondi and then you know yeah. hitting the hitting the bow with the against the strings. Right, and I think that's a way of playing in a way what Vivaldi meant. You know, play, and I think that's what, and I think that's why Vivaldi put the words of the poem into the score because he's telling the musicians. Uh, play those words, play the imagery as much as you play the actual notes. And mm-hmm. that's what Biondi is doing. He's taking it in a way more, maybe less literally, but more seriously in terms of the the gestalt of what Vivaldi was trying to do. And that brings us to the the slow movement of winter. Before the fire, to pass peaceful, contented days while the rain outside pours down. It really sounds so much like sitting inside by a fire while there is rain. You, so you hear that little pluck in the in the strings, like bling, 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 bling the rain outside. And then you hear this, uh, the person, you know, inside warming himself by the fire. And then in almost subliminal way, when, and one thing, that, and he only puts it in one, one of uh, two versions of this piece, uh, you hear the cello uh, with its pulse, you know, almost portraying the fire itself. So again, just like in all the other slumens, he has these uh, three layers that we're listening to at the same time to create this, this scene for us that, that plays out. And subliminal, I like what you say there, because with the cello, that's what it is. It's almost, if, you, if you're noticing it, it's too much. It's supposed to be in the background, like when you see a movie with a fireside and you hear a little crackle. The crackle isn't, you know, like an explosion. It's just, you know, in the background setting that scene. And you can only, before, I didn't really actually know the exact text for this movement. But now, I mean, contented days just passing by. It's like the clock is ticking. The rain is outside. The fire, it's just just kind of, ah, beautiful. It's such, and again, it's such a, uh, it's such a universal image. They could have, this could have been cavemen, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, you know, and it could be someone in our, you know, it could be today, you know, looking out the window of yeah, our exactly. high rise apartment. It could, it, it's, it's a universal idea. And getting into the final movement of winter, this is 
quite a end for the sonnet. It says, We tread the icy path slowly and cautiously for fear of tripping and falling, then turn abruptly, slip, crash on the ground, and rising, hasten across the ice lest it cracks up. We feel the chill of north winds course through the home despite the locked and bolted doors. This is winter, which nonetheless brings its own delights. And again, he's writing in the music um, all these little kinds of lines and cues here. And this is treading across the ice slowly. way the this violin slides around it reminds me of if you have a ice cube on a table and you just touch it it kind of just glides away well it reminds me of of the time i actually slipped on the ice and broke my elbow uh so oh my I, yeah that, so this it, and he's really because i get this and ever since then the way i walk on the ice is the way he's playing yeah <laughs> it's very cautious very cautious no matter you know no matter how good my treads are uh, it's uh and 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 well, but of course, it's in the music too. So, uh, but the way Biondi is playing is he, again, he's being a dancer, a sort of actor here, uh, as he's act, you know, as he's portraying the music. And you've got turning abruptly, slip and crashing onto the ground. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. And then here, as it's going on, it's now you're going fast across the ice because you don't want it to break up. Right. Um, But that's you hear that fall, which I'm sorry for you. You probably hear a lot more than I do. I've come close. You know, I lived in Boston, too. And that's uh, a lot of ice on those sidewalks. Oh, yeah. But the end of this one in the Italian and then in the English one, they're a little bit different. And in, in the English one, you don't have it's probably more context for non-Italians or non-Europeans, but in the um, Italian, it talks about Sirocco and Boria. And Sirocco are these winds that come off the coast of North Africa, blow over the um, Mediterranean and across Italy. And I didn't really know about that until this. So you have these Sirocco winds and then the Boria, which are these winds from the north. And that's also the god of the north cold wind, and that's the bringer of winter. In the Italian translation, it ends with this. It says, to hear leaving their iron-gated house, Sirocco, Boreas, and all the winds in battle. And that's a different sound to it. They both end with the same, this is winter, nonetheless, its own delights. But in between, you have in the Italian version, the Sirocco and the Boreas and the winds battling. And I think it brings it together in the music. I have to admit, I'm not really hearing much of the delights. And that's the the way this ends. This is winter, which nonetheless brings its own delights. Because you've had in the first one with the trembling cold, the chattering teeth. Then you had the nice fireside. But in the end with the ice and the cracking and the falling on the ground and this battle. And it here's how it how it all ends. <laughs> ¶¶ 
I think of it has it has its own delights in now that I'm living in this area where you have all four seasons, it's like the human experience. Even in in tragedy or or kind of whatever you're experiencing in life, it's its own delights in itself. Although it's tragic, it has its own delight. Um, and it's it's the human experience that we all have to have. Yeah. And I think the way he ends winter, as we heard, it's, I mean, summer also ends in uh, in this sort of, tragic way but there but in summer it ends in this very uncertain way yeah. um where you know it's almost like we're helpless against it and whereas in winter it's sort of like well this is this is the cycle of life this is uh, what this is our common lot as humans and and you know and as we've seen throughout this whole cycle because i think it's no accident this comes at the end of the cycle it it has we, this is the thing that binds us you know these these common experiences our common uh, relationship to the elements uh and uh and so and so he ends on on that minor chord but um that it doesn't that it doesn't necessarily mean as you said it doesn't really, it's not necessarily sad or tragic it just sort of it's what it is yeah it's what it is almost like with what you were saying before with the the beast dies at the end of autumn but it's okay for the hunters they go on for us as humans you know it's it's winter and it's the end but you know it it goes on without you kind right. of thing and that's that idea Exactly, and we and he also knows that since he started the cycle with spring, that after that chord, we could just start the whole cycle all over again and go right back to uh, spring, which um, cleverly enough is just is exactly one step up uh, from winter. So it's it's in like, terms of pitch, it's yes. just right there. It's so close. <laughs> so that's four seasons: spring, summer, autumn, winter. These concertos that are just. They're played today so much because there's so much still to discover and loving them no matter how many times I've, I've heard them. Absolutely. You, you can never get tired of them. Every time you listen to it, you've, you hear another aspect of it. And, and as we've heard, you can play them in a lot of different ways, which is why there are so many recordings of, of them because uh, I think all violinists are hungry. It's like their way of showing what they can do. Um, or it, again, it's like different singers covering the same song is showing like, okay, this is how I can do this role or like all, all actors wanting to do Hamlet. You know, this is, this is their way of showing this is how I can portray the, the cycle of life. Perfect. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown. For more information on Vivaldi's The Four Seasons, visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. You can also send us an email at classicalbreakdown at weta.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe in your podcast app. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from Classical WETA.